Good afternoon and welcome to Designing the Framework for a Cognitive Computing Ecosystem, a Health System CIO Media Inc. production. A little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Health System CIO and I will be your moderator today. Uh, we have some interactive features we're hoping you will take advantage of today. Namely, today we're using the Q&A box for questions and comments. You can send them in as they occur to you, and we'll take them later in the program. And we have also got uh, the deck available, which you can uh, you have the link on your screen. It's at the bottom of the slides, and it's also been sent out in the chat box, so you can download that. Just so you see how we're going to spend our time today, we're going to go about 35 minutes uh, with our featured presentation by Dr. Omid Shabastari, PhD, who's the Director of Health Analytics with the Carilion Clinic. And then we will have our Q&A. So without further delay, I am going to turn the uh, deck over to our featured guest, Dr. Shabastari. Dr. Shabastari, thank you so much for joining us today. Looking forward to hearing your presentation. Thank you very much, Anthony. Um, good morning or good afternoon, depending on which side of the country you are. I'm very happy to have this opportunity and share some of the things that either through theoretical studies or practice we've gained throughout the years about how we can empower the care that we provide to our patients through better use of computing systems. So before we start, um, let's go through some definitions to make sure that uh, we have the same concept shared. And also we're gonna be talking about the audience of who would be the best uh, who would be the beneficiary of the content that we're going to discuss today. From the audience perspective, um, obviously the primary target for conversations are CIOs who serve healthcare systems. Um, depending on what level of granularity is built into their organizations, it might be that they are directly responsible for these type of services, or they have delegates as defined as, for example, chief analytics officers, directors of analytics as, as such, that they will help with them. As we go through the conversation of the ecosystem, you will notice that um, the expectation is that all levels of organization will be involved in that. So even though the CIOs have the delegates as CAOs, there are steps that they need to support them to make sure that they get the best result of these systems. The other part that I wanted to start first before presenting the content is some definitions. You may have heard a lot of terms around machine learning, artificial intelligence, or cognitive computing interchangeably. And in many occasions, people use them in place of one each other. Um, the diagram that you see here provided by Peter Sommer uh, is a very good abstract of the definition of these. So you see in the middle layer, there's machine learning and some of those models that historically for many years have been de developed. Then it goes further to more computing intensive solutions like artificial intelligence, and the further you go out, computers gain more power and more autonomy to produce the content for the output of the systems. So when it comes to cognitive computing, then there are elements of high-end computing and intensive computing that you may have heard a lot about them, about computer vision, about um, 
voice recognition and processing about complex neural networks or very intensive processing of algorithms and models, and also about reinforcement learning. Some of the things that computers gain experience and do better and better as they are exposed to the results of their predictions. So that's the way we go from left to right about these concepts. Having said that, it doesn't mean that we are excluding some of those probably simple, even linear, supervised, unsupervised type learnings that we used to do for a very long time. Because the whole concept of cognitive computing encompasses all of these together. So the next term that we want to discuss and have some agreement around the definition is the ecosystems. With the ecosystems, uh, there is some basic concepts that for many years we have learned and probably is very familiar to you with regard to the definitions that we had from very long time. This is a picture that many of you have seen in your high school books when we are learning about the biology and the ecosystem. So the whole concept is around whatever is your top focus, but then at the same time, everything around it that may impact what you are doing in that specific context. So bear this in mind as we go through the conversation about the ecosystem that we need around cognitive computing, we will discuss about all the things that will contribute to success of those projects. So going forward, I'm sure that many of you have been exposed to a lot of different type of technologies that are growing. Um, all these different type of data collections, Internet of Things, all these pervasive solutions that gather information and provide your systems for providing better care to the patients for monitoring their health. So the ecosystem of the technology is very growing and most of these at this stage, mostly are the provider of the information to your systems, but we see a growing trend for them to be the con consumers of the result of your models. Um, this has become a household solution to have things like home devices that you can verbally interact with them and get, give information to them and get information from them. The technology exists and is part of day-to-day -day life of everyone. And like any other aspect of IT industry, the perception and expectations of the end users is that they can get their health information through these as well. So long story short of this, there's a tremendous amount of data coming to us, and then we can leverage those through good processes for providing good predictions and act upon the things that we can do for our patients much earlier. Everybody knows in the context of healthcare that the earlier you can detect any risk or any problem for a situation, the cost of care would be much less and the outcome is gonna be much better. Put that in the context of a lot of risk-based models that nowadays are put into place for reimbursement, now there is very good justifiable monetary values for these as well. So that's the reason that we see a lot of healthcare organizations are much more faster investing and going toward the cognitive computing solutions. But then what is the ecosystem around that? Um, what 
I'm planning to do mostly today is to discuss about this and then further specifically about one of the compartments of this, which is data quality, because you will see that there's a lot of opportunities for improvement around that. So this is a simple mashup of the different elements that you would require for a cognitive computing ecosystem. First thing, starting from the top left, is the intake triage process. Obviously, there's a lot of problems that people in the healthcare are trying to address, and they have interest whether the computers can help them with that. One thing that you need to be very cognizant is computers are not going to solve the problem. They may suggest a solution to the problem, which means that for whatever thing that you undertake, for using cognitive computing toward that, you have to have reserved capacity to act upon it. What becomes more important is, as everybody knows, any of these predictive models will come with some sort of false positive predictions, which means that you have to be cognizant of how much resource you have to act upon these, and then make sure that you tune your models to a degree that produces a manageable number of cases for intervention. The other thing that is very important, especially for the organizations who are starting to look into these solutions, is to make sure that when they go toward these models, they will look into the solutions which is in the market. Um, for many of these, there are good number of solutions, and we discuss further about these, that you can leverage and don't reinvent the wheel. So you want to make sure that, one, the operation and clinical side of the house are involved in the intake for these models. Second, you have all the ingredients that can go into that for producing a success. When we are talking about the ingredients that goes into the systems, we want to talk about data quality. Um, one thing that I normally take my students at university is you would expect the data quality in the healthcare not to be as good as many other industries. And the reason for that is in many industries like retail, like banking, data is the process. The process goes through data. In many cases, although we are going toward quite a bit of like CPOE systems and digitalization of the solutions, still data could be a byproduct of the process of care. The providers can produce as much of care to the patients, but not have too much chance to document them. So you need to be cognizant of that. We will discuss about that quite a bit. When it comes to the cognitive computing environment, the overall proposal is that you have to have three layers. You have to have an incubation environment, you have to have a production environment, and a maintenance environment. And we will go through all of these through the conversations of this uh, presentation. And then obviously you cannot neglect the operation because those are the parts that will act upon the data which is produced from the systems. Over all of these, you want to have your governance in place. In many organizations nowadays, we hear conversations about data governance. We are taking that to the next step and we call them information governance because it's not just the raw data. It's about what you do and how you execute the information which is produced from the data. 
So those concepts are also very important things to consider. So when you talk with any of um, people who have their hands on doing this type of data science machine learning activities, it's a common known fact that they mostly spend something between 60 to 70% of their time curating and wrangling the data. So that's the reason that we put a lot of emphasis around data quality. And we want to have some conversations around that. Um, as you can see, in most of my style of presentations, I don't <laughs> jam the content with a lot of writing, but I use normally pictures that will stay with you hopefully for a very long time and you will remember them. So in this case, it's a very known fact of garbage in, garbage out. Um, the models can be as good as the information that you provide to them. If you don't provide good information, then you put yourself at risk of um, not being so successful in prediction. And again, from the CIO's perspective, this is something that you should heavily support your group of talented data scientists, people who work on these type of models. Reason being, um, when you look at the market, there is a very small proportion of people who are serving these type of purposes in the organization who have operational skills. And mostly you have a lot of talented people who have a lot of mathematical, statistical, and modeling knowledge but not too much chance that they had the opportunity to put those into practice. So when we are talking about that ecosystem, building the relationships, building all those environments around these good people will help them to be successful. It's like any sporting game, which is played as a group. You have some stars who will raise your points and make you successful, but you have to have all the supports around them for them to be able to do what they want. Either you have to help them or you have to try to kind of steal some of those, um, what they've been called as um, the rock stars or those top-notch people from other organizations. That's the fact. So when we are talking about data quality, this is a very high level things that you need to have in place for being successful. First, starting from the left, we are talking about source system and data integration. Models mostly, sorry, this is jumping. Uh, models mostly don't have that functionality and power to be able to go and harvest data. And sometimes the computing is so intensive that it takes a lot of time from them to be able to do that. So you want to have that kind of single source of truth in place because that's mostly in the source systems you don't have, they are mostly transactional systems. You don't have the ability to change values or even sometimes from compliance perspective, you're not allowed to. So you want to have these in a single source of truth place and then all them integrated, connected to each other. So we have done tremendous amount of work around the quality of data in our organization. And in many situations, when we started looking deep into the quality of data that we had and put them in visualizations, we created a lot of aha moments. Uh, we identified a lot of data issues that when we presented them, it resonated with some examples. So some of the things that I want everyone, especially the CIOs, 
to be cognizant about is some of the organizational changes, some examples about acquisitions, mergers, upgrades, system changes, uh, going from one EMR system to another EMR system. In many cases, the end solution that you go toward, you make a very good decision, you take solutions that are much more comprehensive than their parents, which means the original source systems may not be able to give you as much as what you will produce moving forward. So it's a very good practice to create some sort of closed loop system around this. Say, for example, if there's elements of patient information which is missing, look into when is their next appointment, create some flow of information to the administration people to make sure that they ask those questions and make, it, make the information complete or any other type of solutions that you can improve the quality of your information. Just be cognizant of that. You don't want to end up in that situation of garbage in, garbage out type situation. What you see in the middle is a lot of visualizations and you want to make sure that not only you overall provide to the organization how good your information is, but also at the same time make the relevant information available to the people who can take actions and improve the quality of your data. This has to be one of the missions in any kind of informatics part of any organization. What you can use and leverage is the support from key people around the organizations. First group, we call them data stewards. These are the type of people who live and breathe every day in the data in each part of the organization. When you're looking at any service lines, there are some people who are more savvy with the content of those organizational information. So you want to very closely work with them and make sure that they can be your advocates for improving quality of the data. The other piece that you see on the bottom right is the training. And to be honest with you, training can play some sort of double-edged sword the problem and the opportunity is if you train people well about how to collect information, that will improve your quality of your information. But then at the same time, in some organizations, I've seen situations where it has played opposite. I, to give you an example, in one of the organizations that I was in touch with, we came to a situation that there was a lot of people whose date of birth was recorded as January 1st, 1900. So looking at data, we'll see a lot of elderly people, which at the beginning was a good sign. People can live for a very long time. But it just came as the fact, as we investigated, that as part of training, they were told if the patient refuses or if you don't have evidence about their actual date of birth, just recorded at January 1st, 1900. <laughs> So those type of situations jeopardizes your data. Um, sometimes, especially as you go through developing the predictive models, there are elements that become as a very good predictor for what you're trying to achieve. And for some cases, they are not mandatory information to be collected. So you want to make sure that those items are paid attention to and there are some emphasis on collecting that information. Shall we go to the next one, Anthony, please? Yeah, see if you can forward it. Okay. Nah, it doesn't go. 
Okay, I got it for you. Just tell me when you want me to forward it. Yes. So, again, with regard to the predictive models, there's a lot of market pressure coming to CIOs and CAOs from outside. There's a lot of interest from some very large computer companies to some very small companies, especially with the widespread of free training that is available on open sources. Um, and the forecasts that are provided, uh, predictive modeling, data science, the sexiest job in the world kind of things, um, a lot of people go toward this. So you will get a lot of pressure. Um, what we see overall, there's two categories. There are some predictions that almost everyone has a model for it, some examples being readmission, breast cancer prediction. You will hear from almost anyone that they have some models around that. And there are some top-notch specific cases that there's very few suggestions around them. Many of these models have been trained on a subset of data that they originally had available to them. Does it mean that they're going to be as successful in your organization or not? To be honest, you wouldn't know. There are some known facts around overfitting of the model, uh, which provide some good predictive values, some accuracies, but it not, might not work in your environment. So as part of what we discussed about incubation, one thing which is very necessary is you have to produce some test cases that you can share across any uh, respondent to your RFPs or any other type of companies that they come to you. And you would ask them to make predictions based on their system, get the results back to you, and then you will be able to assess how good they are. Um, hopefully, you can, you can have some confidence in what they are saying about their models. But even from compliance and operational perspective, when you have several people that are coming with some proposals to you, you have to have some rational justification to propose to your organization. And don't put yourself in a jeopardy of favoritism or anything like that. So you want to be very cognizant as part of your incubation. That incubation environment also can be used for your inter internal models because many of these models are computing intensive and if you want to let them run on your core data storage system, they may prevent other type of usages of that environment. Uh, may I ask for your favor to go to next one? So another common question that we hear from many organizations is the decision between on-premise or cloud solutions. Um, very good progress in providing resources uh, on cloud environments, advanced solutions, uh, algorithms, and all of those. A lot of names are in the market that I'm sure you've heard about. What I'm proposing to you is to pick a hybrid model. And I have several specific reasons for that. One thing is that things that we talked about, data quality. Consider a situation when you are moving your house. So in those situations, if you have enough time, you probably hold your garden sale or garage sale at the original place, get rid of whatever you don't want, and then move to the other house. But then if you are on a rush, if you're supposed to vacant your original property in a day or two, you may have to take everything with you and clean it up at the destination. So 
relating that example to this situation, think of some types of data like transaction-based data, which has a very long time to value opportunity. So you have, to, you have an opportunity of taking as much time as you need at the source on your premise, clean it up and send it to the cloud. But then there are some streaming data like IoT output device things that you have to produce. The expectation is you produce good values out of them very shortly. So with those situations, you want to take the data to the cloud. What makes the difference is, yes, cloud solutions are very cheap, but when you look at big pictures, when you look at big organizations, you don't want to just accumulate a lot of data that you don't have much values about them in that environment. Because on the long run, they will cost you. This is a challenge, quite a bit of challenge for many healthcare organizations, moving from some sort of caps budgeting to ops budgeting, which is required for cloud solutions. So the more you can make this a smooth and not very much jumpy from the perspective of cost is something that you want to consider. Also, there's a lot of attempts that you want to do on the predictive models that is running on very small cases just on basic samples. Many of the solutions, many of the algorithms, programming languages, which is in the market now, they're open source. So you can easily build the model on premise and then move them to cloud for intensive um, prediction. So having both of these solutions is something that has tremendous values. Shall we go to the next? The other piece which is very important is many of these models produce some predictions. What is very important is that you need to tie them to the point of care because that's where mostly the exact decisions are made. Um, there are some models which is separated from, at least to some degree, separated from process of care, thinking about some models like no-shows, gaps in care, that kind of thing. But many of these models have clinical values and they need to be incorporated into those process of care positions. Even think of like a no-show situation. If you, if you don't have available uh, time slots and you have a very sick patient and you want the doctors to make a decision to replace them with another appointment, you want to put them on a patient that probably has less urgency and more risk of no-show. So you see all these values, they need to come from the models and they need to be integrated into the point of care. That's one of the major differences between some of the solutions that are less real-time in other industries versus healthcare. This is like recommendation engines in retail or like um, this media sharing companies and such. You want it to be at the point that people make decision. And that will require quite a bit of integration expertise that you need to build around your data science team. Shall we go to the next one? So the last item I want to share with you is the maintenance. Um, think of a situation where you do a good job and you put some controls around the factors that increase your risk and subsidize them. This is like a vacuum type game. When you subsidize those, automatically other things which may have some interaction with those factors will bubble up. That means that 
for any of these models, you have to have some continuous control over how they perform well. And if their uh, performance are jeopardized, it might mean that either you have to retune your models or you have to in introduce additional factors to the model that might not have been of importance before. The other thing is around the capacity. Hopefully when you do a good job, not only you subsidize those factors that are influential at the beginning, but also you get more resources, which means you have a little bit of more leg room for letting your models a little bit more loose and picking more cases with the hope that you catch those important cases. Mostly the fact of the matter in very many of these models is you can justify a very good return on investment. But then the fact of the matter is you want to save as much of the lives as you want, you can, and that plays around the capacity. So with all of these things, you need regular monitoring and follow-up. And this is one of the things that with your data visualization team, BI team, around your data science team, you want to make sure that they provide that kind of insight, not only to you, but to whoever also is the consumer of these type of solutions. So putting these, all of these things around together, this is a type of ecosystem that we are proposing for a successful cognitive computing environment. As you saw, it involves everybody in the village. It involves a lot of effort, but it definitely pays off because this might be our best chance for providing better care to many patients that they deserve a good life. Thank you, Anthony. All right. Very good. Great presentation, Obed. Thank you so much for that. <clears throat> well, plenty of stuff to talk about. Um, so I want to, again, encourage our audience to send your questions in in the Q&A box, um, and we will get those in front of Dr. Shabastari. So uh, a couple of points, uh, a couple of questions that came to mind as I was listening to your presentation. Um, Let's start off with the concept of computers are not going to solve the problem. And I, I, I'm guessing what you're saying there is computers are going to help you identify the problem but not solve it. And don't put yourself in a position of knowing about problems you can't solve. So make sure you're talking about make sure you have the capacity to deal with the interventions that may be recommended by the algorithms you put into place. Otherwise, where are you going to be? You might just be on the hook for a lot of liability because now, you've, now you know about things, but you can't do anything about them. Is that kind of what you're saying? To a very high degree, yes. So one thing that we all need to be cognizant is uh, many of these predictive models, they don't give you an indication of causation. They mm -hmm. mostly provide an evidence of correlation, which to your point puts you in a position that you know about something but if, then if you cannot provide any kind of interaction or any kind of intervention that will subsidize them, you put yourself in a position of liability. And the, on the other side of the coin, there's a lot of opportunity that we know interventions are going to be useful. We have success examples in other healthcare systems. So focusing on those will provide the best return on investment. Very good. Uh, is this somewhat akin to the the dynamic that w we've heard about these days with sort of wearables um, and the the massive amounts of data that can come in to anyone unfortunate enough to receive it about 
patients wearables doctors they don't want it all they don't because what does it mean you know there could be it's just tons and tons of data uh, that may not have much meaning or again ability to interact or even knowledge of when something needs to be acted upon. So is there a correlation there in what you're talking about? Absolutely. So if you, if you look, look at the life of physicians, some of the most complex type information that they receive are like EKGs, EEGs, I don't know, logbooks of, say, for example, blood glucose level. That's as much as they are used to. Um, and then they have still the same amount of short amount of time of interaction with the patients. So you want to give them the things that they can act upon and not read through. Right, right. Very good. Uh, the other concept you, you mentioned, another one that was interesting, was data uh, industries where data is the product versus healthcare where data may be the byproduct. Can you talk more about that and what you mean by that and the implications? So many of these, of course, we are going in toward more and more automation of data captures. Think of things like auto-analyzers, um, intensive care rooms, and those things that they produce the data without the need for fat-fingering information into systems. But still, in many situations, data has to be something which is entered manually into the systems. So you can produce the service that you need to but just don't get a chance to document it. Um, there's a lot of studies around provider burnouts, and many of the EMR systems nowadays provide interfaces around how, they, how the providers are spending time in the system, who is like documenter at the point of care, who spends their evenings just fat-fingering information into the system. We are moving toward that automation of data capture, but there's still a very long way. Very good. All right. Uh, I want to touch on the idea of the concept of data versus information. Uh, you had mentioned um, not just data governance, you know, moving from the data governance to information governance, and that made me think of an interesting dynamic we're seeing change, which was, I think, as IT grew in importance, uh, the head IT person became the chief information officer, correct? That's right. That's where we're up at, information. But now, at least it seems to me, we've seen an advent of more chief data officers. Not that they're replacing the CIO, but it seems to be an additional position somewhat under the CIO. So what, what's more important? Where are we? What's, where's the hierarchy here of data versus information? Take me through the definitions, and what does this mean practically? So that's a very good example. Something that is very commonly seen there's a bifurcation in the services under CIOs, which goes commonly to our chief technology officers and chief uh, data officers or analytics officers. The fact of the matter is we are acquiring much more and more options and systems that maintaining the technology by itself and upgrading them has become a full-time responsibility of its own. And then the content of the systems has become another piece that someone needs to take care of, especially because of the conversations that we had about convergence of information from all these different systems. So governance around them, making sure that 
best source of truth is being utilized, making sure that the best amalgamate of information is produced. That's the part that we see those titles as chief analytics officers, chief data officers, and those type of CX type uh, responsibilities are being created in the healthcare system. Very good. A uh, question from the audience. Do you believe integration strategies or partnerships can improve the quality of the data and or the amount of dual entry? That's a very good point, and it has two sides as it was expressed in that question. One is you can bake a lot of data control and data quality measures in the pipes of data integration. And on the flip side, if you have the core good value information that you are very confident with, you can stop collecting that on the other systems and just feed it back to them. Okay, very good. Um, I saw your, your uh, description, your analogy of moving to the cloud was very interesting and your embrace of a hybrid model. You talked about um, sort of the order, the progression. You, and I think your idea was clean the house before you move. Is that correct? Clean the house before you move. Don't move and then have to clean up because I guess to some degree you have less control. It's in someone else's house, right? So it just makes it more difficult. So do it first. Um, but that, I, I think that, that that gives people a lot of work to do. And people don't like getting a lot of work to do. They just want to maybe, you know, listen, hey, maybe someone just wants to say, I moved my organization to the cloud. Right? They want that on their resume. Um, and so they say, i got to do this. Uh, if I clean up first, I'm never going to get to the cloud because it's such a mess. So uh, I guess you're saying resist that temptation to just get it done and clean up first. Yeah, it's, it's all around doing the due diligence. And what I like to clarify is it depends on the case. Say, for example, there's a lot of conversations around collecting genomic data. Many healthcare systems do not have the space to do that in-house. So for those cases, it just goes straight up to the cloud, and mostly the quality of information is as good as it gets. So there's not much room for improving that type of information. But then the other things, there's quite a bit of other type of operational data which is produced in the organizations, and when you put them unclean with unnecessary additional elements of information there, then you just pay for that day in, day out. There's, there's, yes, there's this beautiful concept of data lakes, dump everything in them, it's cheap, <laughs> and then you do it later. But you have to just, what, what I'm cognizant about is, as I mentioned, the conversion of CAPS budgets into OPS budgets. Because the more you put there, you introduce that kind of operational expenses to the organization that for many organizations, they might still not be so ready for that. And then the other fact, as we discussed, is you have time to do some cleanup for some data. You don't have time to clean up for other types of the data. So you have to make a balance. There's no black and white situation, and that's the reason that we go with some sort of gray model of hybrid. It's, it's interesting, you know, what you're talking about, about collecting data. So... I would imagine there's a tendency to want to collect as much as you can because you figure, I might want to do something with this later. I don't know what we could do with it now, or this isn't certainly where I want to start, but if I don't capture it, 
then um, I'm not going to be able to do something with it later. Uh, but then there's the concept you're talking about, which is you don't want to collect a lot of stuff that you can't use because you've got to pay to have it. Also, there could be some liabilities associated with having it if you have a security breach. And that almost relates to different things security people say about access. Only give people access to data that absolutely need it, right? You shouldn't have access to data you don't need. There's some relation there. Keep, yeah. keep only what you need and make sure only people who need it can access it. So it's like a minimalist approach, correct? Um, to a very high degree. So uh, what, what I would like to explain in that context is, think of the last slide that we had, that whack-a-mole situation. You're right. There might be opportunities that down the road, some data will come into light and will have benefits. But then at the same time, you have to have a minimum level of quality. If there is something that doesn't resonate good enough, then why you're collecting it? And then obviously from, from IT perspective, we like to collect as much data as we can. And if we can get it automatically, perfect. But if they are manually collected information, you have to be cognizant of patients' times, employees' times, all of these things that are incorporated into collecting the information. There's a lot of good conversations around how you can monetize the value of information and data. And one thing that I want to reflect back on the conversation is, if your organization is moving towards some sort of even either real or conceptual virtual type of chargeback just to tell others how much service you have provided to them, that's also another point that cloud-based solutions are good because they do that very well. That's part of their business. So that's, again, one of the factors that you want to consider. If you want to do chargebacks, you may not have all the calculations that produce that information in-house, and then at least you have to do some sort of conversions to the cloud-based model. So, again, very good point you mentioned, and again, it, you, we cannot say completely black and white. It has to be put into the context considering a lot of different factors. And that's where the experts who have the experience of operationalizing these type of processes are going to be very valuable to organizations. Very good. All right, a couple more questions before I let you go. Um, you used the example of identifying, uh, sort of replacing a no-show, uh, the concept of dealing with scheduling in real time and getting it into the workflow. And I, I thought that was a great example. And it made me think of how perhaps uh, individuals who are, who are doing analytics or trying to create applications or interventions uh, might come up with something really great but fail to take it to that final level of workflow interaction, point of care, real time. And if they don't, they might create something really great that nobody uses, that nobody can use. And, and we've heard of companies failing like that, startups and different companies that have something super, really great, but it just doesn't work when, it, when, when sort of the rubber hits the road. Um, but so that was a great point. And, and I, I would imagine one of the things you want to emphasize, you could clarify this, is to think through to that final level, whatever you're doing, you've got to get to the point of the workflow of the human being that you expect to do this. And will it actually work? Or will it be something that they say, I, I can't, this doesn't, it doesn't work. 
it's a great idea. It would be nice, but it doesn't work. Yeah. So uh, just related to that case, I want to clarify and expand on what you mentioned. There's a lot of new business models of providing care at home. And for many of these patients who are not coming to their appointments, now there's third-party companies that take the care to the patient. Obviously, it comes with a cost. But then considering a lot of penalties around lack of compliance on closing gaps in care, it may pay off. Now there's business models which is viable around them. And you have to think through this. Yes, we create the model. It makes the prediction. Uh, we tune it to the capacity that we can afford. But then we have to have a remedy solution. Like in this case, going to the patients. Right? Or there's a lot of business models. We see some of these um, very known companies who are very active in transportation. They step into the healthcare. And now they provide services that they can go and pick your patients and bring them to you. Right, right, right. Very good. All right. I think I have one more question. It's kind of a, a tongue-in-cheek question. Uh, why, why would any organization instruct their people to just put down the year 1900 if they didn't know the birth date? Because you're going to mess up, like you said, you're going to mess up all your data that's going to come out of that. Um, so I just thought that was an amusing thing to, for an organization to tell its people. Yeah. So you will see this very commonly in like different type of data collections in the historical models. They pick an arbitrary number to put as unknown rather than marking as unknown. The problem will become when that arbitrary number could be in the range of viable information. So if it was like, say, for example, January 1st, year 1st, that would have been okay. But we historically have patients who live more than 100 years old. And now the overlap between these will cause the problem. So there's a lot of, it goes into a lot of legacy recommendation that existed in the past. Mm -hmm. So you think these days you wouldn't, you wouldn't have systems set up like that, so you wouldn't have to do that? No, because nowadays systems can handle very well unknown values. Right. Very good. All right. Um, I'm going to give you a chance, Omid. Is there anything you want to say in wrapping before we go? No, thank you very much for the opportunity. I think this is a very timely conversation for many organizations because, as I mentioned, with the risk-based models of reimbursement, this is very timely. There's a lot of progression in providing solutions and infrastructure for doing these type of calculations, like with GPUs, all these advanced hardwares. And I strongly recommend thinking about these things for any healthcare organization if they haven't started anything around it yet. Excellent. All right. Well, that is uh, about all we had time for today regarding continuing education. Attending our events gets you one CEU towards the CHIME CHCIO certification program. So let CHIME know you, have, you were here. And if you have asked us to do so, we certainly will. You'll receive an email when the on-demand recording 
of this webinar is ready. If you'd like to sponsor uh, one of our upcoming webinars or book a custom event, you can reach out to Nancy Wilcox from our team, and you can go to our website to register for our robust lineup of upcoming events. So with that, I want to very much thank our speaker and my good friend, Dr. Omid Shabastari, and I want to thank you for attending our webinars. Um, so with that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you.